You are listening to episode 12 of the InspireWire podcast. Welcome Welcome to to the InspireWire, a podcast podcast where ideas ideas are exchanged, exchanged, worlds are traveled, and life is experienced. This is the InspireWire with your host, Tom Murphy. Welcome everyone to episode 12 of the InspireWire. This week we have Samantha Livingstone on the show, formerly known as Samantha Arsenault. Um, Before she got married, she was an Olympic gold medalist with the U.S. swim team at the 2000 Sydney Summer Olympic Games. So we got a chance to talk to her about um, that experience growing up and through her whole swim career and and um, and now she's currently she has four kids and and she's in her third year of starting her own business as a life and wellness coach and that's going really well and um, we talk about a lot of things a lot of her life changes the struggles she had and um, how she goes about through life coaching and wellness coaching and she gives us a few tips and shares her knowledge and she shares a few cool stories so definitely tune in it's going to be a really cool episode and it wasn't it was really nice talking to her so let's go to the interview all right everyone welcome to episode 12 of the inspire wire podcast i'm here with samantha livingstone um and Samantha Livingstone, she is um, a jack of all trades, really. Um, she was a former Olympic gold medalist in 2000 at the Sydney Olympic Summer Games, um, a swimmer. And um, she now, after having four kids, um, is a, a wellness coach and private coach. And she does speaking. She runs her own blog has her website, and in between then, she has um, been a teacher, a science teacher. So there's there's a lot to talk about, and she's really inspirational. So um, thanks for coming on the show, Samantha. Sure, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be a really cool conversation. Um, and uh, one way, uh, and I forgot to mention, I was able to meet I was able to get in connection with you from your husband, who was my uh, strength coach at my college, Williams College, both for football and baseball. So both of you guys, um, you know, are really, you know, doing a lot and, uh, you know, helping a lot of people throughout your different uh, coaching and athletic, um, I don't know how to call it, but the way you guys are, you know, we love serving others. Yeah. I think that we both share that. We share that passion. Absolutely. Yeah. And the fact that you are a science teacher as well, it's kind of maybe, uh, just who you are as someone who loves to share your knowledge and, and to help others. Yes, absolutely. So, um, I guess to start the conversation off, um, maybe we could talk a, a little bit about what it's like, when you transitioned from being a teacher to having your own business and 
and really taking control and and you were someone who you're creating your own business so it's all on you kind of thing and you're able to create a successful one which is really great not to mention the fact that you were a mother so there's there's all these things going on so how was that transition and um how has it been going so far so it's amazing honestly and i actually so you you hit on something really i mean at the core of me which is that i love i love helping others i think um i discovered that actually after the olympics when i was you know speaking with students and kind of going back to my old schools and visiting and sharing my medal and you know having conversations there was something about being in the you know in the hallways of a school and being back with kids it sort of pulled me in and so I transitioned and I, I actually changed my major. I was pre-med and switched my, after my sophomore year to education because I, you know, it was after a, a sort of a mentorship sort of sealed the deal for me. So I really envisioned my entire life. Like, you know, I had huge dreams in the field of education. I wanted to eventually run a school and work my way up in, in help with policymaking. And, um, and so it's so interesting that I'm here and it, it's not surprising in some ways because the thread that runs through it is I'm still serving others. And actually now with this um, new layer to my business. So I started my own business three years ago after being home with my girl. So when Rob took the job at Williams College, my husband, we moved from Georgia up here to Massachusetts and that was sort of this transitional time for me where I stepped out of, I actually turned down a really like a dream job, <laughs> uh, which was really hard for me. It was a, it was a position working with a population of kids that I absolutely like just adore and it would have filled me. So you know, I, I, I would have been so fulfilled, right? It was an administrative role. So a leadership. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so <clears throat> when we moved up here, I was home for a little while and, but then I started, you know, I, I realized quickly that I needed to do something else, right? Like I, I was help, you know, helped with um, community, you know, fundraising and nonprofits and I was sort of busy. And so I then moved into this wellness coaching. I started that first three years ago and there's a, you know, that's, that's a long story. I don't know how much you want to get into of why I started that and sort of how, but I, um, it was coming off of a, our daughter's hospital stay and, um, she, so one of our daughters had open heart surgery and, and we didn't know that she would, you know, we actually thought at one point that she wasn't going to make it. So it was really traumatic experience. And so much like, um, my prior, I, you know, I was in college battled through injury and all like a lot of heavy stuff when I was an athlete and my healing, like part of my healing was actually going out into the schools and serving, you know, filling my bucket was by helping others. And so that's how I started in this new level of expansion of, um, you know, starting to work one-on-one with clients and getting back out speaking. I'm back actually working with kids. So I just was at a high school yesterday talking with a group of kids. So it's sort of this fusion of all of the things that I love and allowing me to be home with my girls. So I'm really like that, that expression, you know, living a life by design is absolutely what I'm doing, what Rob and I are creating together. And it's, it's just, it's so fulfilling because 
it's allowing me to grow and it's allowing me to give back and have my own thing and run my own business and be creative, I would never have described myself as creative. I was a science teacher. Like that was my thing, right? But actually scientists are creative. So it's like, it it was just, it it was moving into a whole new world of away from black and white thinking into this gray, you know, or I call it like a life in color now. So yeah, so that, and so it's, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, it's all of my passion sort of rolled into one and I get to drive. I like that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that experience of, I actually remember, um, cause when you're an athlete, you, you're always, um, surrounded by your strength coach. And, and when, when Rob, when you had, um, when that was going on, um, the surgery and having your, your child was um, in the hospital and everything. Uh, I remember, I think I was in school then, and, uh, you know, we didn't see Rob for a while because you guys had to, or you guys were at the hospital, and um, and I'm sure an experience like that is, is something that really just your whole, everything that you thought you knew about the world or all your experiences up to that point, are completely changed and you're you're uh, inc- like everything you thought you knew has changed you know absolutely and what you have to do is kind of say okay wow this you know i had a few guests on uh previously and and what that kind of and and we talked a lot about um you know the fear of death and and how death is a huge factor in our lives and something like that is so that that's so close to you um it really re- it makes you realize um and and not take for granted what we have uh this gift of life you know so it it, it makes you say okay reevaluate and say what do i really need to be doing i can't be you know messing around right now this is my life it absolutely. So I have been, I, you know, I use the phrase being down under the rubble when, you know, your whole entire world comes crashing down and all the rules of your world change. And that I've been there before, you know, you know, you're living it right now, transitioning, especially as a two sport athlete, you're, you know, you're transitioning from, I mean, how long, you know, when did you start playing ball? Probably yeah, very, very young, young, very young. Yeah. <laughs> so life with, you know, living so that was one moment right where where it was taken away from me and when i was injured it was taken away from me and battling an eating disorder and so now this was very different it was similar in a lot of ways because the my world came crashing down and i had to sort of find my way out and this time that moment so i was actually present when she she arrested so her heart just completely stopped working and in that moment, I, you know, I walk away, I walked away from the hospital with PTSD from that moment that, that was extremely traumatic. And in that moment, all of the rules of my world changed, like the ones that were really deeply ingrained, which were perfectionist driven. I mean, right. I am like a chronic overachiever. I was third in my class, high, you know, yeah. top student athlete out of UGA. I mean, like all of these just achieving on all cylinders. And so my mantra was like, you just try harder, you know, you just try harder. And so in that moment, it was a moment of absolute surrender because there was nothing that I could do that would change the situation. And so 
I realized at that point that I, you know, when I was in the rubble, not at that point, you know, it was, it, it was through healing over these last three years of, I have an opportunity to stand up from the rubble and leave behind all of the things that no longer serve me, including perfection. And I had, I had really nailed it when it came to food and my body and all of that, but I hadn't, perfection doesn't discriminate. It just permeates all areas of your life. And so this time when I stood up and began my healing process, I was able to leave that behind. So it absolutely, that moment I think is the cornerstone of this new expansion for me because it changed exactly what you're saying. It, it shifted my entire, I think both of us, Rob and I, both, our perspective on life. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it's so it, it dry, it's a driver too of, of why I do what I do. Yeah. And, and when you get that, you know, that moment where you say, okay, I need to rethink this. And, and I'm sure one of your priorities were, okay, I need to maximize the time with my, my children. And, and this new business is one way to do that because you're able to, you know, not be in the confines of a specific workplace and a specific time slot. Yes. That is like, so that is something, you know, I, I, I said earlier, it probably framed it a, you know, in a way that portrays a different picture. I always wanted to be home with my kids and I also fell in love with teaching. So it was just sort of this in-between world. And so I did not see with the black and white thinking, I, I was like, I don't see how you can make something work, you know, where you can actually earn an income and have financial freedom and also do what you love. So when I signed up to teach and all my peers were going to dental school and they were going to medical school and I'm like, I'm teaching, you know, it was yeah. like, I basically told myself the story that I was going to sacrifice financial freedom to go do what I love. And so this has allowed me to put, you know, my girls are first always, like I meant, you know, before we right. started, call, it's like, they're asleep, all's good, we can yeah. go, you know? So I schedule, I'm able to do that. And I'm able to prioritize and keep them at the center. And that's so important because it, I've been on, you know, for so many years, I was on the treadmill of overachievement, right? And just, it, it was just that never enough, that relentless drive, the relentless pursuit where nothing's ever good enough and you can't step off because then you're, then, you know, then you'll, you won't, you'll stop achieving, right? That's the story I told myself. And what I've realized is that actually living with intention is very different than living in overdrive and living with intention is, comes with boundaries and so I am very, Rob and I work very hard on creating that white space in our calendar that's for family time, that white space in our calendar that's for our relationship and marriage. And so honoring that, it's just that that's what life's about, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. A lot of times um, I don't have that much experience as far as, you know, uh, being able to judge what what I should be doing um, with my life. But from what my, I've experienced so far, it seems like you got to really prioritize um, what you really want um, beforehand and then, and then say, okay, now what are, what fits into that criteria and not what's, you know, convenient or whatever. And that's kind of what you're trying to do and help other people now. So, how is a typical client structured and do you kind of just try to bring these experiences and struggles that you've gone through and maybe ask them, 
um, what do they really want to get out of life and things like that? How do how do you approach this? Yeah, so there's 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 different ways in which I serve others, and so I think a lot of the storytelling is done when I speak right to large groups, um, or even in even you know even mid sized groups, but that the conversations of like sharing my stories and the lesson learned, right? And when I work with clients, it's really not about me; it's about them. Um, and I look at the work that I do in my ideal client is someone who's struggled with a piece of what I've struggled with and have, you know, have learned how to cope with it. So I think of my, you know, skill set and it's, you know, I think of you, the skill set you honed, like to do, to be a two sport athlete in college, there's a certain skill set that you had to have. Right. Right. And so you take that with you into the new arena, right? You, you know, we transitioned into this new arena. And so all of those skills that served me. So one of them that I was really good at was saying no. Right. So I had to set boundaries because if I wanted to be at the top of the podium, you know, at the Olympics and then do the same thing again at NCAAs, I had to say no in order to say yes to my dreams. And so I, that I, I'm able to help clients and I'm able to see when they're struggling. Like I can see the struggle and help them I walk them there. You know, I can't, you know, it's, it's one thing for me to say, this is what you need to do. It's another for me to walk them through it. Right. So that they're, you know, they're the ones that are like, okay, this is what I need to do. So I think my first job is to help them get clarity on what it is they want. And that comes when they quiet the noise. Right. And the noise is the external noise, right? There, All the people around us. There, what there is think. plenty of noise, yeah. you know. <laughs> you right. Know. And expectations culturally, all of that. And then the noise, I think, in my experience with my ideal clients, the people that I've worked with, the noise is usually the loudest in their own head. And yeah. so the inner critic and all the shoulds and the, you know, supposed tos and all, you know, just the, that, and really my, you know, my clients struggle with perfection. I mean, that's who I attract because that's what I've battled and I've learned how to let that go and be seen fully when, you know, I wasn't always that way. I, you know, come, especially coming off of the Olympics, it was like, I'm an Olympian. I'm a gold medalist. Like I'm showing up at campus now. I was 18 years old and I'm like, who should I be? How am I supposed to act? You know, like, what are they going to think when they see that this is me? You know, there's whole like it was just this whole interesting dynamic and learning how to I mean, for 16 years. So it's been 16 years. It was last summer. I had this crazy moment where I was watching. Well, actually, I wasn't watching the, the Rio games, but um, my phone started to blow up and it was people texting me because they were watching, you know, some of the interviews on NBC and there was a swimmer talking about me and how I, you know, my speaking when I, you know, when she was a little girl and she got to hold my medal and it, you know, how I inspired her and she's now a three-time Olympian. And so I was like, what me? You know, it was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just me. Like how it was this moment of like, it was this huge mirror. Like this is you, like this is you, you know? And so I think it all sort of just came like, pulled it. That was like it for me. Cause it'd been this, you know, three year journey of just dropping this perfectionist shield. And so that moment was like, Oh my gosh, like, why am I hiding all, like all of my Olympic stuff was in bins, all yeah. of it. 
my rings, I mean, the metal I would take out to talks, but like my jackets, I mean, all of this, I mean, I could talk to you for days about all the stuff that you get, right? But right. all of that was put away because I was afraid to show that part of me because then I'd be afraid of what people would think. So it's like, yeah, I'm kind of getting, I, I'm di- digress. I don't no, even know no. what, you, what no. you originally asked. <laughs> yeah. That Yeah, so. But so no, 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 yeah, that <clears throat> makes a lot of sense because, you know, when you're trying to find out what someone really wants, it's difficult because they're they they're yeah they're trying to keep it to themselves. They they don't want to share it with others because they're afraid. And um, you know, it it's always you know, I always catch myself saying, okay, I really want to do this, but maybe I shouldn't because of you know what will people think, the noise and all that. And, you know, it's it's puzzling when you think, why am I not just doing this? But sometimes um, it takes that other person to say, well, it's clear that you want this. You need to now go through the steps and say, okay, you got to go. This is how you achieve it. And I think it's really cool that you're able to, for one, um, do that yourself. It's you obviously have people um, that are helping you along the way, but Definitely. yeah, it, it's it's huge. You can't do it alone, but um, just that's a really cool thing to, you know, you're helping someone else break through their own barriers and and you know their own self judgment. So yes, yeah, absolutely. And so that's what so essentially over the course of the time together, and so you know, I, supporting people through this process depending on what they need, you know, I mean, that's, that's how we start is a strategy call. It's like, what do you, what do you need? Where are you struggling and what do you need help with? And then we talk about what are the possible solutions? How, how can I serve you best? And then you dig in exactly like what we're talking about. You dig in, you get, you quiet the noise and have them really tune into what it is that they want and then start to build the skill set. So they might already have the skills. So it's identifying them and strengthening them, or they might need to build, build the skill set. Like, Catching, you know, some people don't even know the inner critic from their own voice, right? It's so loud that it just, they think that that's them. They, you know, so that may be the first step is separating. And I think people fall on all different places. And so it's, it's being that mirror for them to show them that everything they need is already within them. It's just a matter of tapping into it. And doesn't, you know, there's nothing, doesn't, they don't, there's no need to be fixed or any of that. It's about, clearing away all of the stuff right shedding the stuff that doesn't work and serve us it's tough to do and um what's one way that you kind of are able to in the progress of a of a week or a day what's something that you do to kind of you know drown out the noise and and really focus on what is valuable to you what you care about and kind of like a regroup to say, all right, this is what matters to me. And then now that I know that I can move on throughout my week or throughout my month or something like that. So I think that this is such, this is a really good question. This is powerful, right? So this is like, this is it. If you can notice those, you know, if you can start to notice what works for you, that's, that's so powerful. So for me, I can actually, I'm to the point now where I can see it. 
I can feel it in my body and I know how to respond and I can respond. So for a long time, I could see it. Well, for a, let's start at the beginning. At the beginning, I had no idea. I just was living with extremely loud noise. Yeah. And I worked with a man named Greg Harden at University of Michigan. He's like the, well, I mean, he's starting to be talked about now because he works or worked very closely with Tom Brady when he was at Michigan. Okay. Um, we, I, w- I actually overlapped with him one year there. And this man, he's worked with Desmond Howard and Michael Phelps. I mean, he is like a mat. He's a magician. He's not really. He's a big mirror is what he is. And he doesn't take any crap. <laughs> so he, I actually just talked to him this past week and he was like, yeah, you're a bit of a punk. And I'm like, I was because I was really, like the noise was loud and I had an edge to me, which serves me in, in the, you know, in the water. I was like ready to tear anybody up. Yeah. But like it also made it difficult to work with me and have in cut through that noise. Right. So I worked with him and he helped me to see that that noise was different than me. And so that was the beginning, like separating that now. And then it went, then it moved to a point where I could see it. But then I would get so angry at myself and I'd beat myself up because why can't I get rid of it? Now I've moved into this. And I think that to answer your question, the compassion is the most important piece, self-compassion. And that is something like as a former athlete, it's like self-compassion. Yeah. Right. That's, There's no time for that. Yeah. Like you're going to get soft. You're not going to ever achieve. And that's the lie of perfection. And so embracing self-compassion has allowed me to build build resiliency. So the inner critic doesn't ever go away. And yeah. I and I use the language like, you know, you have a wall of stuff. We all do. It's a wall. It's our inner critic and we smash up against it. Something might throw us off and I use the analogy of like a wave, you know. And so if you can learn to ride the wave and not fight it and you you know you open the door and you're like there it is again there's the inner critic but I'm not engaging like you, you, it's just going to let it right out the back door I'm not going to waste my time trying to hold it out cuz I'm then you miss out living you know you miss out living your life so I think that transition from identifying it as separate from me to then meeting myself with self compassion and then now it's like I I can feel it in my body and so for me you know, I like I'm. It's physical, right? I need to get outside and move my body. I need to go for a, you know, go for a hike or go for a run or have alone time. You know, it might be that I just need to recharge. That's how I recharge. Yeah. So learning what works for each of us. You know, some people might need to be around a lot of people to be energized. The extroverts out there, I am not an extrovert. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know. No. Yeah. So, you're right. It's it's different for everyone. I know for me. Uh, I need to have some time where I can't like for me, I like some time where I can drown out anything that else that's going on and kind of be alone sometimes. And and often it's often it's when I'm outside and um, you kind of just like, all right, I can finally think about stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes there's so much so many things going on um, that it's, it's difficult to do that. But yeah, I think I think helping, you know, others to really pull out what what they really need to do or what they really want to do is that piece right there is one of the most important parts and then once they know, it, then it's like, all right, let's go. It's time it's time to make this happen. And I think yeah. to, you know, I, I have not, I've never done this journey alone. Like I've had, and I think coaches, that term coach is often 
associated with athletics, but the most successful people in the world have coaches, you know, they're mentors. And so I have always had therapists, social work, you know, all these people in my life who have these different titles who have helped me. And I still hire coaches. Like I hired, I hired, and I am working now with a, 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 she's like a publicist slash coach, but she's coaching me in different ways. So I'm constantly learning. I think growth is a virtue of mine. I mean, it's what I, it's my value that I hold out front. I think the most growth and authenticity. And so, um, yeah, I think making sure in reading, I love, I mean, reading, I just like soak it all. in. I used to think self-help books were like, (laughs) reading is huge. Reading is huge. And another, to answer your question too, another, um, powerful phrase that comes from Brene Brown. She's like, I love her. She's a mentor of mine. She doesn't even know it. She says, um, the story I'm telling myself, that phrase is incredibly powerful when people are dealing with a loud inner critic or even in relationships, you know, you have an interaction and you just like, okay, wait a minute. The story I'm telling myself is this is what's going on. And most oftentimes it's not (laughs) right. Yeah. We all put our own, uh, filter on, on like, our own reality. So, yes, um, yeah. but yeah, um, I thought that, that was really interesting how you've, um, you've been able to really be self, have self-compassion because like you were saying, you were, you were the ultimate perfectionist. So like, that's like a complete 180 that you were able to, you know, you know what, what I am, who I am and everything like it's all good. And it, that it, it is right. So that's the, the perfection you're hitting on the never enough piece. Right. And so I actually wonder. I, so I don't know if you ever had Dr. Harrington as your as a professor. I don't know if you ever took uh, the class. doctor. Yeah. Dr. Yeah, Harrington. Like he, I, I think he might have been our like football doctor, but I never had him. As oh, a, no, it's a woman. Uh, she's oh. so she is. And she's my therapist. I'll tell the whole world. Okay, she's man. amazing. So she I came to her after. But she's also a professor at Williams and she teaches okay. at um, and oh my gosh, I totally thought I lost my train of thought of what I was going to say about her. Um, oh, so uh, we, I, I, we have this conversation. I'm like, someday we're going to write a book. We're going to do some research because it's really interesting to me. And I believe in my core because I finished my career. Um, I finished my career at Georgia coming, you know, moving from this place of being really sick at, when I was at Michigan and I transferred to UGA and I was in a much healthier place. And so I do believe at my core that you can be an elite athlete and meet yourself with compassion. It's just not the culture, right? And so, right. so it was really challenging. It was really challenging because what we tried to do as athletes is become, you know, be superhuman. I mean, you're trying to push your body to do superhuman things. And so it's like, how can you be superhuman and also accept your humanness? It's just like interesting place, right? Um, but the piece of compassion that I didn't understand is that that actually helps you get recover from failure or setbacks faster when you're able to meet yourself with compassion. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I'm sure that whole whirlwind, I mean, you like it all happened so fast. Like I, I read a lot of your um, blogs that you posted and on your website. And this was something that's been at the core of you since you were very, very young and, and it all happened so fast as far as, you know, swimming goes. Um, I'm sure it it was like you knew nothing else but to be the best and nothing else was, you know, good enough. So I'm sure that's something that 
was ingrained in you from an early age and 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 like you were 18 when you were um at the olympic games right yes 18 so <laughs> you're so young it's we were babies that was a year so there were a group of us and my roommate was 16 megan and then michael was 15 michael phelps and aaron parasol was 16 so we were like the babies yes we were very young and i you know you you spend so much time so this is i feel like relatable across a lot of different arenas where you know my focus was on this one thing and so what do you do after it was like there was no time to prepare for life after this like it was like you're just too in all of your energy went toward this goal and so then it's like what do you do after like it was yeah. this whole interesting transition um but i i still like I don't know that you can ever take, I am a recovering perfectionist. I say that. And I say recovering perfectionist because it's a daily choice. And I don't know if it's like something that I was born with, if it's something that I, it was learned, if it's like an epigenetic thing. Like, I don't know what exactly how it all comes to be, but the competitive piece, like yeah, that's still present. And so I have to like, when you talk about being the best at things, like that's, it's an innate drive in me. And so I have to just sort of recognize that. I, and I feel it in my body, like even talking about it, I have yeah. a reaction. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely like that in the sense of competitiveness. I will ask you one question, though. Do you love winning more or do you hate losing more? Oh, such an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. So I, this is, I hate losing. Yeah. It's, right? Yeah, it's so true. It's... It's the worst. Like sometimes, like I, I'm in a, you know, I'm, I'm a washed up college athlete, but I still do, you know, um, uh, rec leagues, basketball, flag football, things like that. And just like you lose one game and all those feelings come rushing back and it's just like, oh, this is the worst. And you have to remind yourself, okay, it's a game. Like I have to tell myself when I'm playing against my girls, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> seven and four. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I, I think in that that actually you, it reminds me of a really, really pivotal moment in my career because I was like the second place finisher. That was like my like I was always getting second place and I was out at a World Cup in um, Paris. So this was before the Olympics and uh, an older swimmer, a veteran, looked at me and said, are you afraid of winning? It was a really powerful moment for me because I think. And it transcends my work now. There, the, that is a real fear, fear of success. Yeah. So there are people that hate losing, and they're also afraid of succeeding. It's such, it's so interesting to me. So diving into that and like feeling, I think just being able to sit with the hard stuff, like yeah. sitting with it, you know. Yeah, I've but, definitely thought about that. Like um, the the fear of success. I, I'm not like. That's one thing I'm not really conscious of with myself. I I may be f- afraid of my own success, but I don't know it kind of thing. It's it's weird because I hear it said a lot, you know, fear of, you know, um, you know, doing well. It's it's interesting. Well, because we're powerful beyond our wildest imaginations, I believe that. We're so capable, wildly capable. And so it's like tapping into that is just all I think it's there's I think there's deeper fears than the fear of success. I think it's the fear of not belonging anymore. And I mean, I could get into all that, but I think that it's sort of loaded. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely difficult to navigate because, you know, there are always 
in I guess today's society or even back then there were there were you know uh, public figures and things like that and and it's difficult because you get the sense that um, I guess when I grew up it was well, when I was a kid um, you see your role models as you know athletes celebrities and that all seems kind of unattainable in a sense so in that sense you're set, you're telling yourself oh you won't be good enough you won't be um you know that so it it kind of ingrains in you okay then you won't be good in this either so why you know put yourself out there you know so that okay so this was so this was my first nationals i think i was 15 and my idol was Jenny Thompson, who grew up in New Hampshire. She was she started swimming in the town over from me. And all I wanted to, well, I all I did, I ran around and asked for autographs. Yeah. And my coach was like, he sat me down on a bench. I remember we were in Nashville, Tennessee. And he's like, at the end of the meet, he let me do this, right? Like, I ran around asking everybody for their autographs. And he's like, until you see yourself on the same level, you will never beat them. So if your dream is to be on the top of the podium, that means you have to beat them. You have to see them as humans. So it was like this moment of they aren't like it was a massive shift for me. And actually, there's only one person I've ever felt like this starstruck by um, since then. You know, even seeing like a couple Patriots in the in the um, airport. And it's like I, I'm upset. We I love the New England Patriots. It's like, oh, yeah. Go Pats. Right. <laughs> yeah. But my girl, like we're we've they're brainwashed, like we are Pats fans, and so yeah. um, even this close to the New York border. But we, yeah, so it's like th- they're human, you know. And I and and I think that that was that there was a that was a really powerful moment at a young age where it was like I had to make that shift and out of like these people are superhuman and on this pedestal to I'm one of them, I belong, right? right. Yeah. And that's and it has it's that goes across all. So why in the question you have to ask yourself is why not you? You know. Yeah. And I think when we answer that, we start to storytell about how they have it easier or that they're more talented or whatever the reason. When the reality is that it it can be us. You know. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that you are. You know, that's something that you probably that's a huge part of your your coaching and um just breaking down the barriers uh for each person and and trying to figure out um what's really holding them them back but uh yeah and unlocking the magic inside of them exactly yes so as far as um the business it's it's really growing um you have just uh the website's pretty recent right Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've run it on social media. I mean, I've just, I've built my business. So my business this past year surpassed my teaching income with just the wellness component. And wow. I wasn't, you know, and that, I mean, that was, that was really big. And so that was my dream when I started because I wanted a choice. And I, you know, I wanted to be able to choose whether I went back into the classroom or not. And so, and I'll and to have the freedom, right? And so now it's like this, this new level of expansion and the website and now blogging. I mean, I've been my, my, the coach that I hired, my business coach, she's like, you've been blogging. Like my Facebook posts sometimes are really long. She's <laughs> like, those are not Facebook posts. Those are blogs. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. But it worked, you know? I mean, I think 
I just got on Instagram a little while ago, and I'm and I like I like it over there. I like yeah, that. Yeah. I'm on Snapchat, but I have no idea what I'm doing. How I I mean, really, it was through Facebook and and in word of mouth and referrals, and now having having the website is sort of. I think it, I'm able to serve a wider, you know, my wellness is fitness, nutrition, and finding balance and balance with our bodies, and you know, just the stop like the toxic talk, right, and move to this place of of self-love and nurturing instead of deprivation and, and hatred really. And so helping and also helping athletes transition, like what do you do post-sport, right? How do you find balance? And so that was wonderful and is wonderful. And I'm still doing that. And there was also this wider audience, you know, of people that I could serve that had that part locked down, but were still struggling with other areas. And so that's where I feel like the website's sort of the sacred nook um, for people to learn more about me not that's not on social media you know yeah for sure and um i guess one thing um that maybe you could help the listeners um as far as you know a tip or something to like something you tell um your clients uh, as far as you know how, how to kind of decide or like a general like habit or something that you could do on a daily basis um, to reinforce, um, I don't know, your the ability to hone what you really want or or change your way of thinking and tr- really like move in a positive direction. What are what are some like pointers that you give to your clients? Man, there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so if I'm thinking of one major, I mean, besides beyond compassion, I think compassion's huge. And that, but you know what? That one's tough. People, people fight that one for a little while. So, I think that the first, one of the a huge piece is is um, I don't, have you read Darren Hardy's Compound Effect? Have you read that book? I don't think so. No. It's so basic. It is so basic, and it is so incredibly powerful. It's actually the first book that I picked up on my coaching journey, and I was like. Oh my gosh, what? Like you don't have to go perfect all the time. I mean, it was one of those moments where it was like, if you make, so the idea, the compound effect, the concept of it, right. Is that your small decisions, like the small choices that you make every day matter. I think that that's a start, like taking ownership of all the small choices. We make thousands a day, right? Thousands of small choices every day. And this is a huge, and you don't have to make them all perfectly. They don't all have to be perfect. And so, you know, if you're making, if the majority of your choices are moving you toward your dreams, the majority of the time you're going to get there. And so the f- philosophy of, of with coaching for me is intentionally is, is 80, 20. So 80% of the time or 90, you know, eight between 80 and 90% of the time. You now I mostly deal with perfectionists, right? 80, 90% of the time you want your choices to be moving you forward. And then 10 to 20% of the time, like you live, like that's where you have that balance and life happens or things come up or, and so it takes the pressure off to be perfect in all areas of life. So whatever it is that, you know, whatever goal you're working towards, whatever goals you set, whether it's in business or whether it's, you know, you're with fitness and nutrition, whether it's just your lifestyle, time with kids, I mean, any area really in taking, because those choices compound. And so if you're choosing in the with the small choices, I mean, this is another lesson from swimming. It was like, I did the things 
that other people weren't willing to do, right? Like, cause it just, there was no big ramification right away. Like you breathe off a wall. Oh, well, nothing big happens unless yeah. the coach catches you, right? You know, or I, and I played soccer all the way through, you know, club soccer through ninth grade. It was the same thing. Like do my ball work out in the backyard. No one was watching me, you know, no one was holding, you know, no one was holding me accountable other than me, but I chose to do those things. And those small choices, though, if you didn't do it, you know, one, the power of that one choice isn't going to get you to your goal and it's not going to derail you from your goal. But over the long haul, time will work for you if you're making those small choices a majority of the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of like, you know, a constant reminder, like a lot of people you can get caught in autopilot and you're not thinking about every decision you make. And obviously you're not going to, like you said, 20, not all a hundred percent of your decisions you're, you're conscious of, but like the more conscious you are of what choice you're making, uh, the better, because when you know, when you're conscious making that decision, you know, it's something you're aware of it and you're not going to get caught doing something, uh, you know, that you w- don't want to do because, Ultimately, everything you do is has a choice. Is a choice you're choosing to do that. So, yeah, that's definitely something to work on, you know. Yeah, and I think to, that that gets coupled with intention. I mean, I think that intention is also at the core because. So something I do every day, and and this may work for people, may not work for people, but I'm a paper pencil person, like or pen, I should say, and so I have like a small little tiny little notebook on a clipboard, and I have it's just like a legal paper, but it's a really it's like an index card size. And at at night, I, you know, if I'm in a funky place, I'll write down what I'm grateful for. That always brings me back, right? It reminds me of just, it's grounding. And then I write down the the day, like, what do I have to accomplish the next day? And so instead of going to bed, oh, I I won't lie, like I'm with the phone, right? I mean, I think that's something that's a constant work in progress of putting the phone away. Yeah. But that is something I do every night. So before I go to bed, before I tuck, you know, like go to sleep for the night, I will have this, like, I'll think about my tomorrow and how I want to spend my time and what do I want to accomplish. And the trick here is that perfectionists are going to write along a long list and then they're going to judge their, basically their self-worth, whether or not they got it all done. So move that. So it's kind of like you got to work toward that gray there, but picking two things that I really want to get accomplished the next day and making, you know, and, and setting that intention. And it's amazing what actually the universe listens. It's like, okay, all right, let's get this done. Yeah. And you're, you're telling yourself in your brain, all right, I'm going to set my day up this way. The law so of that attraction. Then, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then when you go through your day and you're making these small choices and you're faced with these decisions, I mean, they're the smallest decisions. It's like reach for this in the kitchen or that. You know, it's like, it's not, you know, reaching for whatever, like the M&Ms isn't going to derail you, you know, and oftentimes we tell ourselves that story because we're going for perfect. It's not going to derail you, but it's not going to move you forward. And in going for that 80% of the time of making choices that move you forward is really, it's a, that, that's like, I think the crux of a lot of what I do is helping people to move to that area because perfect just doesn't work. You know, it's just, it's not sustainable and it's not really attainable. Yeah. So. That's, you know, that's a great message because everything, you know, everybody is trying to have a perfect image and, you know, are worried about what people think. But once you break that down, you know, we're all just people and it's, uh, you know, we can all just be who we are. And, 
that's a great message and I appreciate you sharing this because you know hopefully the listeners got as much out of it as I did because this is you know we got our own little free lesson on how to uh, really you know break down what we want and kind of make steps to achieve it and um, I really appreciate you coming on on the show yeah, and I have over on my website too. On the road, it's it's samanthalivingstone.com backslash roadmap, and that is like that's my guide for letting go of perfection. And it's not you know it's not you're not going to download it and all of a sudden shed your shield, right? It doesn't happen that way. But I really put a lot of time and energy and love into that in in walking through the five C's I call them and what you know just walking you through a lot of how I was able to overcome perfection and and make the choice every day. So. Um, yes, I want to make sure that everybody, that's like a, it's a free gift and it's, it's, there's loads of love and light into that as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I'll be posting, um, I'll be putting all the links for everyone to listen. Um, I mean, to check out, um, uh, your website and everything you got going on. But, um, yeah. So, yeah. um, one, I guess one thing that I would be remiss if I, didn't ask um, really quickly um, is maybe a small story you have um, that I don't know if you have one maybe you have one uh, already that you tell when you speak or something like that that's related to the Olympics or some or some unique experience that you had because that's that's really unique and there's not many times I've uh, able to you know talk to someone who's been to the Olympics yeah, so what what part? I mean, there's so many stories I talk. I mean, I could talk to you for two hours or more about. I know, just the I know, I know. So something that's coming up for me right now, it's it's. I don't know that it's necessarily related to what we've been talking about, but I don't, and it's just sort of coming to me, and I trust these polls. That's part of this process too, right? Um, was the maybe because you played baseball? I don't know, but yeah. this in the in the food court. So I have a couple of memories coming back. So when you go to the village, um. It was surprising to me, just the whole entire village experience. You know, the Olympics itself is like, it was just like another swim meet. It really was. I'd been there the year before for Pan Pac Championships in the same pool, and a lot had changed, right? They, the stands, it was, it was swimming over there is like football, baseball over here. I mean, okay. we took on pseudo names. Swimmers are on billboards. They've got bodyguards. Like, swimming is the sport over there, and they get paid really well in, in Australia. And so, um, being back a year later after Pan Pax, the venue had changed. You know, there was more seating. But it was really just like another meet. But the village experience was so different. You know, um, after Atlanta with the bombings in, in Atlanta um, in the village, there was a lot of security. I mean, there was just like this. It, it became real. You kind of felt the magnitude because of all the things that you had to go through. Um, and then within the village, it was like, okay, you realize this is a world stage now and that this isn't just – an international world championship meet. This is the Olympic games because you had, you, you know, countries strategically placed in the village and then experiencing. So this is what came up for me was just the food court. Um, Oh my gosh. It was like, I've just, I've never seen anything like it. It was this massive, just spread of all these different kinds of foods. And to give you a taste of the, like the, thickness, I guess, of my shield, my perfectionist armor, I was standing in line and was like really battling the inner critics because it's like the food here, even though there was so much of it, it was like, I don't, 
this isn't what I'm eating. I'm not, I wanted my chicken breast, my clean veggies, like I want, and everything was, it wasn't made that way. And so I remember feeling this like total turmoil and behind me in line, there were two guys talking and that was cool. It was like, I mean, everyone's speaking all different languages and I am unfortunately monolingual. Like I don't, I wish yeah. I was bilingual. Um, but they were, I don't know what country they were from. I have, no, I don't, I can't, and I, but I can see their faces and they were, they were ill. Like they, they couldn't, they couldn't even bring themselves to eat the food because the amount of food in the village was so, it was like the abundance was just like so paralyzing to them because people in their home country had like nothing. Wow. And so this moment for me of like, like I'm like moaning and groaning, like I'm being yeah. like just all bent up. I'm all worked up about the fact there's not like clean chicken. And these guys are like, it was just this really powerful moment that this is the Olympics. Like this is, this is the Olympics. Like this yeah. is, it was really, so that it shifted things for me, kind of put me in my place to say the least. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the second moment happened in the cafe, in the cafeteria as well. It was after we won and the whole thing with McDonald's, like now I'm a wellness coach, but like, it's true. McDonald's sponsors the Olympic games right? and Coca-Cola and like, you can, you have like coins that go through the machine and then they come back out. I thought that was the coolest thing. It's like, you don't put your quarters in and lose them. You just like get this one to like token that just used for all the vending machines. But, oh, wow. um, yeah. So after we won the medal, you go through all sorts of drug testing and, um, that was a whole ordeal, right? Like, I don't know how much your listeners want to hear without giving too much information. The but more they the need merrier. <laughs> They need to see your stream of urine. I mean, so you're just like in the suits that we wore, the full body suits. You're basically like standing there naked with these complete strangers watching you urinate to drug test you all in the name of fair sport. So I was down with it. But um, it was a long night because you just so much going on. Right. And the award ceremony and the media and all that after. So we arrive back at the um, food court way after dinner hours. I mean, everyone was probably, I mean, they were sleeping. It was really late at night and the, um, we were on our way to the McDonald's, like me and my uh, teammate, Diana, we were on the way to the McDonald's section of the food court. Cause they're, that actually exists cause they're a sponsor. And now I, I mean like my eating was like ridiculously on point before the games. I don't think, I mean, I don't think I even had, I didn't have cake for my birthday. I mean, that's how it was a little over the top and unhealthy. Yeah. Um, but that was what we were going to do. We're like, we're having McDonald's. We just want a gold medal. Rah! Right. And it was a cool moment because in walked the baseball team and that's when baseball was in the Olympics. Yeah. And, um, and I'm totally blanking on, Oh, it was, no, it was Ben Sheets. I don't know if he's still pitching. Um, but he, in his crew, all the guys came up and they're like, this is it. And it was like this moment. It gives me chills. It's like, this is what we're playing for right here. Can we touch these? Like, let's see these. And they won the gold that year, which was amazing. So that moment was just like, you have this entire team standing around and it's like, again, realizing like, this isn't just another swim meet. Like this is, this is powerful and being able to interact with the other athletes in that way. So it was awesome. And then I actually went to the game. They played Cuba, um, in one gold medal and I was actually able to be there to watch it. So it was fun. Yeah, yeah, so for a moment you were the celebrity, you know, that they were yeah, like, oh, fun. that's, that's what we're yeah. striving for, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. It was really cool. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't imagine being in a place where there's just like so many people from all different countries and that's just a crazy experience to just 
see see that and and be like wow like these are humans just like me but they just are coming from an entirely different perspective but yeah yeah, that that's really um you're really lucky to have that and uh, i really appreciate you sharing yeah thanks yeah and you realize you know too in the united states like there's sort of this expectation of like everyone wins a medal and when you go to the village, you realize like how few people actually do and that it's about so much more than that. You know, it was like, I don't know, there's so many perspective shifting moments there, but that was the, the being on the bus and, and having to communicate with people, you know, the bus within the village, communicate with people without speaking to them, right? Yeah. Through body language and, and being around that many elite athletes. That yeah, was really cool. It's powerful. So the village was an awesome part of it. Yeah, I'm, whole- I'm sure. I'm sure. But, um, yeah, so definitely check out um, all the links. I'm going to post them. And um, and thanks so much. It was a really right. cool conversation, and um, I hope to be in touch. I know. I You have to let us know when you come back in town so I can meet you in, in, in person. Yeah, for sure. Maybe <laughs> we could have a, a, you know, an encore interview. That would be yeah, awesome. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so that was the interview with Samantha Livingstone. It was really relatable, and I thought that, you know, for a lot of people, a lot of what we were talking about rings true, you know. Uh, for everyone in their life, there's going to be a lot of, uh, like we we, ta- we talked about, uh, a lot of noise that often, you know, infiltrates our, our minds and kind of, you know, we care a lot about what other people think and, and no matter who you are, it's something that is a factor because we're all, you know, social animals. We need that social connection and we want to be thought of highly by our social peers. So it's always a, co- a constant battle of how can we, you know, express ourselves without having that fear that we'll be rejected and things like that. And uh, it was nice to hear from Samantha. She was able to tell us about through wellness and life coaching, how she's able to, you know, get to the root of what people really care about and what changes they want to make when they may not even know them themselves. So it's as you can see, you know, a lot, a lot of us, you know, have these deep desires, have things we want to do and accomplish or change about ourselves, but it's often buried down inside. And, um, it was nice to hear, you know, how she approaches, um, with her clients and things like that. And obviously it was nice to hear her stories, the things she's gone through. So I really appreciate um, Samantha for coming on the show. Um, uh, and as far as a bonus story, um, since we had a long episode and we got to get a few stories from, um, her time as an Olympic athlete, I think I'll just leave you guys with another, um, you know, point that we talked about in the episode. And for me, I think the point that I want to get across is that, you know, a lot of us, um, if we have a job or or we're decently busy, uh, there are no times during the day, it seems like, that 
you can really step back from social connections or even you know um, over the internet and things like that where you can totally have time to yourself to reflect on what you're thinking about what um, the thoughts you've been having because usually when you have thoughts it's 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 during the course of a day and you don't really get to digest them and and think about them and reflect so I want to reemphasize the theme I it's been a theme throughout a few podcast episodes, but I keep wanting to bring it back up because it's that important that finding a time where you're able to stop everything and just figure out what your your brain is trying to tell you and and what thoughts you've been having and, and kind of what direction you want to go in the future. And if you can do that, then you will be better off in the long run because if you can listen to your body's internal thoughts and ideas, you're more able to make a more conscious uh, decision on in future in the future, and and it'll be on your own behalf. And instead of going with the pace and and flow of society and what you're expected or or what you've been doing the past few months or weeks or years, if you're able to step back and say, oh wait, maybe this isn't what I really want. Maybe I need to take a step back and reassess things. If you're able to do that, I think it'll you'll feel much better in the long run. So any chance you get to reflect and step back, I encourage you to do so. So that's our show. Hope you guys enjoyed it and stay tuned for next week. I'll see you guys next time.